morning, friends. Welcome back to another episode of Coffee and Co-Sleeping. I'm Amanda. And I'm Adriana. And today we're really excited to be here with Valerie Groisman, child and family therapist that specializes in zero to six-year-old mental health and sleep and the founder of Talk and Sleep on Instagram. So hi, Valerie. Hi, so happy to be here. So excited about our conversation today. Sleep is such a hot topic, but before we dive in, can you just tell our listeners a little bit about you and what it is that you do? Yeah. Hi, everyone. I'm really happy to be here. I'm Valerie. I am a child and family therapist based in Ontario, Canada, although I work with families all over the world. And I specialize in infant and child mental health, which basically means their social, emotional, and behavior needs. So I help mostly families with relationships. So focusing on helping you kind of connect and understand each other. I like to say my mission in life is to help people connect. But more specifically, uh, in terms of sleep, I would say I'm a professional people connector and baby and toddler sleep bullshit detector. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But what that really means is there is no such thing as things that work for all families. And I help families kind of find the things that are best for them and their individual baby and family. So we both have toddlers. I have uh, an 18-month-old and Amanda's daughter is three and a half. They've never been what you would consider a great sleeper. They've never been, you know, 10 to 12 hours overnight, no wakes. That's just never been either of our realities. And I feel like you only ever really hear about a more wakeful newborn, you know, those first six months being a time period in which your baby will be waking quite frequently and that's developmentally normal. But rarely do you hear about those challenges or what normal toddler sleep looks like once they're actually in toddlerhood. Yeah. So how I like to explain it is that babies in the first year, they wake primarily for physical reasons. So they need to feed, they're kind of gassy. It's much more motivated by just regulating physiologically. So they're more wakeful also as a protection, for example, from SIDS for very young babies. And also in terms of sleep development, it's just much more interrupted in the first, particularly six months. But then it comes in phases over the second six months. And then again in phases, but they're less frequent usually over the second year and the third year. So technically, Sleep doesn't really fully develop until by two to three years, but also there are pieces of the brain that don't develop until even five years. So sleep is generally more settled in the second year, third year, and as they grow and the reasons that they're waking also start to shift and become a lot more emotional. So everybody knows living with toddlers can come with lots of uh, emotions. So what starts waking them at night shifts a little bit more into the internal world and emotional world. The older they are, there are less little ones waking or less people talking about the little ones waking because first of all, we get used to them having phases in waking, I think. Second of all, it's not as intense as it was with babies, I would say. It comes and goes in phases and parents usually get really surprised that they're waking again after actually sleeping. Or like you mentioned to me, sometimes I hear, oh, they've never slept at all. In that case, I usually like to kind of get a little bit more information because usually when I hear they never, ever slept really well. When I work with families, I like to rule out any kind of specific reasons why. It's really important to kind of normalize, to know what's normal. And it's also important to see sleep as a reflection of showing you what else might be going on that might need your attention. Might be within normal, might be something that uh, needs kind of intervention. I love that normalizing what's really normal because what looks quote unquote normal for one family definitely isn't the case. Cause I know for us, my daughter actually slept like 
great the first six months. I remember thinking Mm -hmm. like, what was everybody talking about? I'm getting more sleep now because I don't have to wake up to go to work. And she's sleeping, you know, longer periods. And then at six months, I don't know, it was around the time that we started baby led weaning and introduced food. She doesn't have any like allergies or any issues with anything. But from there, now at three and a half, I find myself every night at 1am, she's waking up and I'm going in her room. And I remember everyone you talk to with a three and a half year old is like, um, no, like they go in their room, I shut off the light at seven, I see them again at 8am. And I'm like, wow, you just shut off the light and walk away. Like you don't have to scroll TikTok for 45 minutes and nurse and get them to sleep. When we kind of hear what other people are doing, sometimes it's so hard not to compare. And not that I would, you know, wish no sleep on anybody, but I've been, you know, grateful that, you know, Adriana's son's also not the best sleeper. So we're always like, I slept like shit. And it's like, oh, hey, me too. And it's just having that I'm on my fourth cup of coffee today. It's like, yes, I I needed that validation. Thank you. Your friends aren't calling you every time their little one is not sleeping at night. So you're getting a false uh, reality that everybody else's are sleeping well, unless you're specifically calling your friend every single day and talking through how your night was. So in reality, there's probably a lot more other families and toddlers who are wakeful who uh, you're just not aware of. So you're getting this sense that everybody's sleeping except for your little one. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Amanda and I have talked about how Instagram is sort of the highlight reel and you post the, you know, good times and the things that have made you happy. That makes sense. We want to share those things with the world. And it's very similar with sleep. You know, you might only really speak to a few close friends or family members about what's actually going on at night. That's a really good yeah, point. Yeah, so we, we can chat about what might have been going on for you, Amanda, in terms of sleep or either one of you, we can chat through what I might kind of ask families to explore what's going on. So the way I approach sleep is I really try to figure out the root cause of the wakes and maximize sleep within the context of the family by figuring out the root cause. But And it sounds like you're already doing the piece around getting support like from your friend, making sleeping arrangements that don't necessarily exhaust you. We talk about all those, but we also kind of try to figure out, okay, so what's waking them and how can we encourage longer sleep within the context of the family's values and lifestyle? Do you want to walk through it, Adrienne, or you want me to? Go for it. (laughs) Okay. Okay. So tell me a little bit about your little one. How old are they? What are you struggling with? So Aiden is 18 months old as of December. So it's been a while now. He kind of shifted into this routine where he's going to sleep at 10 and he sleeps until 8. And when I say sleeps until 8, I don't mean it's like 10 p.m. to 8 a.m. Perfect, no wakings. That's just been his his rhythm in when he's able to fall asleep and when he's actually up for the day. He does take one two-hour nap every single day, different times, but it's always two hours. Never had any trouble there. And I've actually not had too much of a problem with the late bedtime. It's similar to when I'm ready to end the day. So it works for he and I. The Mm -hmm. one thing that has been really tricky for me is the very early nursing sessions where I don't know if he's fully asleep or not. He's on the breast kind of nursing from 5 to 7.30 on and off. His eyes are closed. He looks like he's sleeping. I can't roll him over or wake him. He's definitely still in somewhat of a uh, sleeping state. But for me, it's incredibly hard because I'm not able to sleep through that two and a half hour chunk where he's on and off the breast. So that's my challenge is he goes to bed late and then I'm also up really early. Well, what for me is really early doing that chunk of nursing time. Yeah. So when I kind of work with families, we talk about both considering the little one's needs and always kind of separating needs from kind of wants or preferences. 
and also the parents needs and wants and preferences and then figuring out okay so where do we need to set boundaries to protect your sleep or your often relates to kind of mental health or etc and where do we have kind of wiggle room to do what they would like to do so in this particular case it really depends on whether you feel that he needs this feed in terms of kind of his overall 24-hour period nursing pattern so you tell me, is this a feed that you want to keep or a feed that you would kind of prefer to live without? At the moment, I'm okay with keeping it because I know how important it is to him. Uh, not so much for nutrition, but I think that is how he's able to stay in bed for that long of a period. You're keeping the feed because it feels beneficial to him and you or because you're afraid that it will impact negatively other pieces of your sleep situation? Both. I'm not ready to wean in any way, shape or form. Like he very much still has access to breastfeed whenever he wants. And the mornings seem to be when he has his longest session. So I don't want to take that from him. And I'm also not quite ready after having finally settled into this sleep pattern to shift our bedtime in any kind of an extreme way. There are a couple of areas that I would chat with you over. We would have to think about, okay, where are areas that you would like to make shifts and there are areas where you would not like to make shifts. So if you're saying this is causing me to feel extremely tired, very understandably, because you're going to sleep really late and waking up really early, then we're either looking at your bedtime. So figuring out strategies for having the bedtime earlier. And he's actually pretty, it sounds pretty typical in terms of the total amount of sleep. So I encourage families to think about the total amount of sleep, not the amount of sleep overnight. Because oftentimes families are like, oh my gosh, my little one is only sleeping, whatever, eight, 10, nine, 10 hours overnight. But then there is usually a two to three hour nap, which is a 12 to 13 hour, 14 hour sleep total, which is basically all they need. So they're probably just not tired earlier and don't need as much sleep. And he it sounds like he does sleep in, in terms of sleeping all the way till eight. So I might talk you through, okay, do you feel like you want to make some shifts to the evening so that you get more time in the evening to rest? Do you want to look at his nap time as a time for you to get extra sleep? If you are happy with your bedtime and you are happy with that nursing session early in the morning, maybe we can talk about what needs to happen so that you can have a nap in the middle of the day so you're not feeling tired. Or with another family who is like, you know what, these 10 p.m. bedtimes, I can even tell you kind of from personal experience, there was a time period where we really loved 9, 9.30 bedtimes for our toddler, who is now almost four, just because of our work schedules, our lifestyles, like rushing home for 7 p.m. bedtime was just not going to happen. And it would have resulted in no time together really to connect. But then I had a second baby and exhaustion was obviously in another level. And these earlier bedtimes became a really, really valuable for us at that point. So the way that I might shift that is work on naps, less nap time, especially past two years old, it can start impacting them overnight. Although there are little ones who it can, it can impact earlier. It's really individual depending on individual bodies. But we might kind of have less daytime sleep so that we can get that bedtime earlier for my four-year-old, for example. The other area we can look at, Adriana, is if your morning wake was a little bit earlier, if we're just looking to work with like scheduling, then the nap could also be probably earlier and you might end up with an earlier bedtime. But you said you like the bedtime. So basically, we would talk about, okay, how can we get you more sleep while keeping the things that you do love and enjoy and work for you while still getting to your goal, which is sounds like getting a little bit more sleep. 
I absolutely love that you just said that there are things that as parents we can actually do to help ourselves, that it's not really the responsibility of our, you didn't directly say this, but it's really not the responsibility of our toddlers to figure out how to get us more sleep. That's the last thing on their list. (laughs) Um, But, you know, that there are ways that we can kind of try to think about, hey, what can I do today? You know, is it possible for me to get 45 minutes in while he's sleeping to sleep as well? What that brought up for me as you were saying that is he goes to bed at 10, but I'll lay in bed for two hours, either just catching up on like Netflix or scrolling my phone or reading, whatever it is that I'm doing, I don't necessarily go to bed at 10. I know that that would make a world of difference for me, but I don't do it. So (laughs) there are definitely things I think as parents that, you know, instead of just assessing our children, there are things that we can do to assess kind of within ourselves. Are there changes that we can be making to get ourselves a little more sleep? So I love that you brought that up. We did a like a little community survey. We do them every quarter just to ask what people are wanting. And somebody describes my approach as sleep training for the parents. Yeah, I definitely very much educate parents. We talk about stepping into that kind of leadership role. Specifically for toddlers, it's really important that as the parents, we're the ones who are taking that lead in setting predictable and clear loving limits and boundaries so that they know kind of what's expected of them. And we are the ones in charge of making those shifts and changes in some ways being the adult <laughs> so I like I love that that, yeah, that you brought that up I'm the one who's um asleep in bed by 9 p.m <laughs> that's why um Adriana's midnight text when she's scrolling and sending me stuff gets answered at 7 a.m <laughs> <laughs> um I did want to mention that we actually when you were talking about kind of trying to figure out sleep totals that was something we just went through actually my husband and I with our daughter the past month because she's three and a half nap time has always been a big struggle like she would start skipping naps at around 18 months and went down to one nap like at 12 months we were doing nap and she would you know not fall asleep some days until one o'clock and I knew like if I don't wake her up by you know two or two thirty I'm going to be up till 10 11 and I'm not a night owl so for me it was like the days she doesn't nap I don't get that midday break mm-hmm. but I also know she's going to be asleep by 7 38 o'clock and then I have a few hours whereas on the opposite side it's like if I take that break in the middle of the day and have her nap I'm literally going to be falling asleep putting her down tonight. Um, My husband gets home pretty early from work too. So for us, an earlier bedtime works because we still are able to have a good, you know, four hours together as a family. I really think looking at, you know, a family schedule and what they have going on, you know, if you're running older kids around to all these sports and you don't get home till eight o'clock, you know, you don't want to just tuck them into bed and that's kind of your day. I did want to talk a little bit about for those listeners who have toddlers who are waking. I know my daughter probably wakes, she goes down at about eight and she wakes at about 1231. And that's when I go into her room and I just end up falling asleep. And then throughout the night, she just is like self-serve and nurses herself back to sleep. Maybe two times, three times. Sometimes I wake up in the morning and I'm like, I don't know if I woke up at all last night, but you have a really awesome Instagram post about um, eight reasons why your toddler may be waking. So can we kind of dive into what some of the reasons are that they could still be waking past 18 months or two? Yeah, so I think the biggest shocking realization, I'm saying it with a little bit of uh, of sarcasm, but it really is something that I feel like as parents, occasionally, I, I need to remind myself constantly, but they're basically another separate human being mm-hmm. um, with their own thoughts and ideas and feelings. And actually, a lot of the things that cause more challenges for families with toddlers have to do with their development of like being their own person. So your baby is very much just starting to kind of separate from you. They're really in their mind, 
still a part of you for much of the first year. But then slowly, slowly, as they become going into toddlerhood, they're actually becoming separate human beings. So separate human beings get woken up by the same things as adult human beings kind of get woken up from like hunger, maybe thirst, you had a really hard day that was really emotionally draining, maybe before bedtime, you watched a TikTok that was extremely upsetting, or something like this. (laughs) And then you're just having a really hard time, your thoughts are racing, you can't go to sleep. So for adults, basically what happens is if I wake up scared or if I am having a hard time falling asleep, I might roll up to my partner and kind of get a hug or something. I might, if I'm thirsty, get out of bed or if I have a headache, go get something for my headache. Whereas your baby, your toddlers, they need your help for a lot of these things. They can't get them for themselves. The fun thing about toddlers is that They want to become independent. They're working so hard on becoming more independent and they actually want to do things more for themselves. So the thing I like about working with parents with toddler sleep is we can actually start the conversation about, okay, so for your toddler's age and stage, what is the realistic expectation for them? Like, for example, can your toddler get themselves water at night if they wake up thirsty? Can you coach them through getting themselves water so they don't wake you up to get water, for example? Different toddlers will be able to do different things that are kind of independent at different times. So the suggestions that I give families in terms of setting expectations is always for your individual little one. But I think for me personally as a parent, like I always underestimate my toddler's ability to do things. Oftentimes they look to us as their leaders to know, is this a safe situation for me? Is this something I can do? Do you believe in me that I can do this? So it's it's a balancing act between challenging them just the right amount so that they're growing and developing that confidence and self-esteem and ability to trust themselves that they can do this and not overwhelming them by having completely unrealistic expectations and just getting like angry that they're not meeting your expectations when maybe the expectations weren't realistic in the first place. I'll just list quickly what I mentioned in that post. Hungry, for example. So for them, because they're still kind of nursing, uh, can be very normal still. Maybe they are nursing either for hunger, depending on how that day looked like in terms of food. Some toddlers just take more time to kind of switch to like more of a robust, solid diet, I would say. They might catch up at night. Maybe they're regulating supply for all the same reasons that they're still nursing maybe as a baby. Thirsty, needing to potty or learning to go to the toilet is a big one for toddlers. Overtiredness, being too tired is less likely after into well into the second year and third year and beyond. But not tired enough could be a reason why they're resisting bedtime or having like a middle of the night party. So completely wide awake. Things like that bother adults, like uncomfortable ache, illness, of course, wake them up. But the things I think that are most maybe overlooked are the emotional pieces, needing connection, spending extra time away from you. Maybe there was less connection for that day and they're feeling more disconnected. Maybe they're feeling scared. Maybe they're going through a big change, which also goes back to connection, like starting daycare, introducing a new caregiver, a new sibling. The most common question I get is, Valerie, my three-year-old, I think they're going through a sleep regression. And then my next question is always, did your family change? Did you, do you have a new sibling? And it's 99% of the time is a yes. <laughs> and I always say, I say to parents, can you imagine if you woke up one day and suddenly there's this stranger in your house that your parents are completely just focused on? You wouldn't be sleeping well either. So, and parents usually sigh kind of with relief that their toddler is not suddenly going through something that's going to keep them up forever. 
Big changes like moving, just like adults, having a big project, big changes in your life. They're going to keep you up at night. I love that you're discussing seeing our toddlers and our children as whole human beings that really go through the spectrum of emotions and to such an intense degree. This is, they've been on this earth for a couple of years. Like they're experiencing things for the very first time and Mm -hmm. learning who they are and what their limitations are and what they're capable of. And that's so huge. And we often look at sleep as something that we have to control and we have all these expectations around it. And I think a big part of the freedom in seeing my son as a person who, who needs to experience everything to the full extent and that that's going to affect sleep, of course. And it's really my job as his parent to be here to support and guide him. And like you said, set limitations, of course, but to also just emotionally support him. That's so huge. And I love that bit earlier in you saying that Valerie's course is sleep training for parents, because (laughs) I think we could benefit from it. Yeah, we definitely talk about also understanding your own emotions and reactions and expectations of your little one, because I think just realizing that they're own human being, we take their sleep, we take their more challenging behavior as a reflection of, on, or even feel their emotions as a reflection on us doing something wrong. Ideally, we want them to have any emotions, negative, I'm doing air quotes, but more challenging <laughs> emotions like that are hard for us, like sadness, anger. Uh, We want them to feel like they can express all of their emotions and come to us when they have these different emotions. And that's how actually there is in sleep training or whatever, people talk a lot about self-soothing, completely unrealistic and not a thing that babies can do. It's bullshit. That's what I like to say. I I can't even. I have a webinar called Why Self-Soothing is Bullshit for Baby Because I'm 30 years old and I cannot self-soothe. Like if I'm worked up or something, I need to have a conversation with my husband. I need to call Adriana. I need to talk it through with anybody who will listen to me because we're human. Like we want that feedback. We want validation. We want to be comforted. Like our children are no different, you know? I love that we're talking about this because I feel like for me, looking back on my daughter's three years of life and, you know, her sleeping. And I love that you're doing air quotes because anytime I say the word normal, I do air quotes. (laughs) So what would, you know, what's considered normal. And I always thought like, she's not getting enough sleep or she's overtired, undertired, whatever I thought it was when really I feel like the issue was me. I was the problem. It's like, I had this unrealistic expectation of what sleep should look like for her. And most children don't sleep through the night. Most adults don't sleep through the night. So the expectation that she's just going to go in her room and go to sleep is just, it's wild that we believe that. Um, I have just kind of, this is my own little personal question, but how do we know it's time to drop the nap? Like for us, we went on a big trip um, to Disney last month and she napped like while we were there because she was so overtired. And then when we came back, we just kind of had a lot going on and it always seemed like we were trying a bit too late and we just stopped doing it. Um, I haven't really implemented like a quiet time. She won't go in her room and lay down by herself or even just to play with her toys during that like nap time. So I'll usually just put like a movie on and we'll just veg out in the middle of the day because I feel like then at 5 p.m. she's, you know, a lot of emotions and is clearly very tired. Can you remind me how old she is? So she's three and a half. Okay. There is this period of time where they're trying to drop the nap, but they're not necessarily ready. And then they're a complete mess at 5 p.m. So I feel you. We, yeah, we, we, we've been through it recently. 
But if she naps, even if she naps an hour and a half at like 1230 to two, she will be up until like 1030, 11 o'clock at night. Yeah. And then we'll wake up frequently throughout the night and then we'll be up for the day at seven. So now with no nap, she's usually sound asleep by eight and we'll wake up anywhere between seven and eight. Yeah. So in her case, where it's very clear, you're telling me this is very clear to me when she naps, the bedtime is really, really late and does not work for her or family. She's more wakeful. There is all these negative consequences when she naps. For this type of scenario, I would say that it does sound like going without a nap works better for her, although she's having a hard time in the evening. So I would look more into making the quiet time like a regular thing so that she can sometimes take the nap if she really, really needs it, for example, or it can be a really short nap just to give her brain like a little bit of a break, 15 to 30 minutes. It's very clear that like she's showing all signs that like it was the right decision to drop it, but it's so hard to give up. Nothing beats that like midday cup of coffee, eating M&M cookies, watching the Real Housewives of New Jersey <laughs> in an alone, silent house. Like nothing beats that for me. So I'm like, I just need, again, an expectation that I have. So now I need to implement another way that I'm able to have that time to, you know, do these things. And that's what's so great about now the earlier bedtime, I'm able to do those things after she goes to bed. So remember, we, we talked about how it's a balancing act in terms of our kind of expectations and challenging our little ones and also not overwhelming them with unrealistic expectations. But for example, you mentioned trying to do a quiet time and she's just not up for it this is one of those things where with the right kind of support and scaffolding you can actually build your child up to be able to do it and it is a nice skill to have I think it's something that's good for everyone to learn is that uh, you also need quiet time or uh, downtime during the day especially if you're spending your whole day with your kids like mm -hmm. staying at home it is a good concept to kind of introduce that we're going to be both resting maybe doing our own separate things what that might look like in your your family is doing it beside each other on the couch. What might look like in another family is walking the child through how to do it themselves in their own room. And in my toddler sleep course, we actually talk about working on it 30 seconds to one minute at a time, setting them up, preparing yourself, preparing your toddler and leading them through this as kind of a change and a thing that they that you believe that they can do. It's probably helpful. It's not causing you stress thinking about it. Oh, it's OK. I can just have this time in the evening. But for a family, for example, who maybe for whatever reason, they don't have this time in the evening, or maybe there is a mom who's just like really struggling in the middle of the day. And if she doesn't get that downtime, the rest of the day is just very stressful and really difficult for everyone. I might talk about, okay, how do we lead your toddler and prepare them and encourage them and help them learn how to do that uh, on their own? It's not realistic for like a 12 month old or even some two year olds, but two and a half, three, four year olds, we definitely can walk through kind of learning how to hang out in the room on their own if needed only 30 seconds to a minute too okay so that was the thing I guess my expectation was that it would be longer oh, to start, start but that's like unrealistic yeah no you start with 30 seconds uh, just a general overview is you prepare your toddler by talking about it by explaining to them what's going to happen what they're going to be doing where you're going to be and then using either a timer or something that shows them uh, visually what the expectation mm. is so and then starting with 30 seconds once you're successful with 30 seconds they're happy you're happy it worked wonderfully you celebrate and you try a minute uh, the next day oh, not the okay. same day so basically you just oh, kind okay. of help them practice and extend the time if they're struggling with the 30 seconds we kind of work on the 30 seconds and seeing what mm -hmm. what support they need to do that for 30 seconds but usually it's realistic for three four year old building up to 20 30 minutes oh wow yeah okay. 
it's it's one of those things where I'm like, I can't believe my child can do this. With no commercials, I think an episode of The Real Housewives is like 37 minutes. So we could get there, guys. We could get there. <laughs> every every <laughs> little one is different. Different personalities, different families. So yeah. I can't tell you specifically for yours. Only you know your child and your family and what mm-hmm. you need. I'm just saying that if you need those 37 minutes during the day so that you can be the mom <laughs> that you want to be for them, it's something that we can work with your child on. I encourage you to kind of not just surrender in terms of there is like kind, gentle, supportive, respectful, encouraging ways. And then your child is also feeling empowered and like they can kind of have this time for themselves. And we're modeling to them that caring for ourselves is also important. Our needs are important too, so that they grow up into adults who take care of their own needs too. (laughs) What you're saying is so important that you know, any type of transition, it's another expectation that we sort of have to temper within ourselves as adults. These things take time. You know, it's not, okay, I want them to be able to spend 30 minutes on their own. I'm going to start tomorrow. No, it's, we have to break this down into really tiny chunks and make it digestible for our children because 30 minutes is nothing to us, right? But to a two-year-old, yeah. that's everything. That's 30 minutes that they'd mm-hmm. normally be, you know, by your side or, or in, involved in whatever it is that you're doing. So 30 minutes can seem like a lifetime to a two-year-old. And yeah. you really need to make these transitions acceptable and appropriate for them. So everything you're saying is wonderful, but it, it's another great example of how we need to meet our children where they are. Absolutely. And really the key is is just preparation and being a strong leader. So one of the lessons in my brand new toddler sleep course is leadership, basically for parents, how to step into your leader role. And you're basically leading your toddler through a change. Think about work, for example, your boss tells you that something is going to change and it's going to be really big. If they're like, tomorrow, this is the new expectation (laughs) and there is no explanation of what's going on, what's expected of you, how are they going to support you? You're going to be freaking out. I'm going to be calling out if you're be doing. If you trust your leader, if they explain to you what's going to happen, how they're going to support you, how it's going to look and support you through each step that is reasonable and realistic for you, for your skills, for your where you are, you might still have feelings about it. You might still be upset or disappointed about this change. You might still be worried about the outcome of the change. But what's really great about strong leaders is that they're able to walk you through to the other side and support your feelings and get you to from that to that end result and even if you're scared you can still do it even if it's hard you can still do it is what you're learning from this experience if it's effective and if it's positive just wanted to take a quick break to talk about oh hey mama hair the official hair care of momhood oh hey mama is scalp care made for postpartum hormonal and thinning hair types I know you guys have heard me talk about my hair loss and changes I had while I was pregnant with my daughter and how my hair never really quite went back to what it was before. That's why I love Oh Hey Mama Hair Care. Their products are designed not only for postpartum but beyond. Using plant-based ingredients, they smell great and all without harmful chemicals. I've been using their nourishing scalp wash and my hair feels softer, stronger, and has allowed me to go longer between wash days, which us moms know is a huge plus. Some of the other must-have products include the Restorative Hair Serum and Rapid Replenish Conditioner. Oh Hey Mama is small batch crafted, mom-owned, and made with love in the USA. For the month of May, they are teaming up with some of their favorite fellow small businesses to do a mom products giveaway. Make sure you head on over to their Instagram, at Oh Hey Mama Hair, to enter. And check out their website at ohheymamahair.com to order your new must-have hair products today. Happy shopping! 
want to shift gears a little bit and talk, you know, of course, our name, Coffee and Co-Sleeping. So we're big on two things around here. So I recently, um, back in November, transitioned my daughter from our family bed to her own room, her own bed. And like I mentioned before, I still end up there most nights. But the number one question we get asked um, from followers and listeners is how do we stop co-sleeping? So and I know that's kind of a loaded question because it looks different for every family. But is there like some top tips that you can share on transitioning or knowing when your child is ready? Yeah. So it sounds like you had a positive transition. Tell me how you did it. We've had the extra room in our house forever. And that's where I keep all her extra toys that I rotate out. So a lot of the time she would, it was just an empty room and there would be toys in there. So she would play a lot in there, like when I would shower. So it was like a lot of happy playtime in there. And I would always say like, this is going to be your big girl room. And, you know, I went online and she picked out the furniture with me. We went to the store and got it together. She helped me put it together. Like she was involved in every step of the way. So she helped me, you know, we went to Target and picked out the comforter and the, the pillows and everything was hers. And then just, it was the day after Thanksgiving and we just did our nighttime routine and we just walked in her room. She was excited about it. She's like, you know, I want to sleep in my big girl bed. And there was one where she was like, I want to go back in mom and dad's bed. And I was like, why don't we just lay here for a couple more minutes? You know, I'm really comfortable or, you know, let's, let's wait a minute. And then she fell asleep. So like I said, she still wakes frequently. And every once in a while, like we had COVID back in January and she was like, can I sleep in with mom and dad? And it was like, yeah, of course. But for the most part, it's been a good transition. I mean, the hardest part of it is that in the middle of the night, I have to take the 12 step walk to her room when she wakes up. But it's nice that like after she goes to bed at 7 30, 8 o'clock, I can bring like a laundry basket in my room and put laundry away, or I can change my sheets, or I can shower in there. I feel like I kind of have my own space back again. It was just after she turned three. Yeah. So you touched on a few things that uh, are definitely really important, which is just building up that familiarity with the new space and setting up Mm -hmm. a space that works for your family and it's going to work for your little one. So some things that you mentioned is her playing in that new space, which is really important, getting that positive experiences in there, as well as for an older toddler, like three, four, involving them in making some choices. So choosing out maybe, like you said, the bed sheets. Another thing that can help is introducing a comfort item if they don't already have one, like a lavi of some sort uh, that can go with them to their room. Sometimes families have like a, an in-between, if um, if it's a more sensitive toddler that needs an even slower gradual change, if they were in your bed the entire time and you want to move them out, another there could be smaller steps there in terms of maybe putting their bed or their mattress beside you in the room and sleeping like that a li- for a little while, then moving into their own room. In my course, we talk about just preparing and really familiarizing them with their new environment, showing them that deciding on your boundaries in terms of can they still come back to your bed? And we talk about kind of it doesn't have to be black and white. It could be that you're okay with her coming into your bed after a certain point of the night so that you don't have to go to her bed. It could be that in your case, it sounds like you prefer to come to her bed. Oh, no, I'd prefer her to come to us. But I tell her, like, we've told her a lot. I was like, whenever you wake up, Kennedy, you can just come into mom and dad's room. And like, I leave like a little hallway light on. And I was like, you can just come in with us. You know where we are. But when she wakes up, she just sits up. And it's a cry, but she like is yelling mama. And then she'll say milk or she'll say other side. She'll sit up and be like other side. Um, so I've tried so many times or even like the other night, my husband went in there because he was still awake when she woke up and like picked her up and brought her to me in our bed. And she was like, no, and like started running to her room. So I think it would be easier for her just to come into our room. And then I do worry like in the future when we have more children, if I have a baby in bed with me, 
And then she wakes up in her room and then I go to her room. Am I going back and forth between two rooms all night? And I'm like, obviously hearing a newborn cry is more, I don't want to say a priority, but I want to make sure I'm there. I just want to split in half between <laughs> two places. So if, if I could do that, um, if you could tell me how to do that, Valerie, that would be an ideal situation. Yes. But um, yeah, I'd like to kind of get her to come to us. I think it'd be easier. But yeah. so I also talk a lot about like ex- expectations in the sense of does your toddler know what you would like from them? Is it clear to them? Is it practical? And for example, if you notice that at night, it just seems like she's just waking up and crying, preparing her by talking about it during the day. So saying something like, you know how when you wake up in the middle of the night, you really want mommy to come mommy's really really tired too and I also want to sleep and I would like it for you to come over to my bed instead let's practice how Mm -hmm. we're going to be walking from your bed to my bed and let's count the steps. Oh, that's a good idea. So practice mm-hmm. that, then practice it with her during the day. So mommy's going to pretend to sleep in my bed and you're going to pretend to sleep in your bed and you're going to wake up. <laughs> uh, what are you going to do kind of thing? Um, you can practice what she can say to herself to soothe herself. You can practice a song that she can sing. There's lots of things you can do. The quick suggestion is practicing during the day, pretending, playing it out, and then moving it to the night. But the only other piece that I would say uh, in terms of just the night wakes is conversation. I usually would still walk through like a whole full comprehensive assessment of what is causing the wakes to see if there is anything we can do to reduce the wakes in the first place. And usually it has to do with something in the daytime uh, that can shift to help reduce the overnight wakes. And then the next step would be, okay, how do we get you to do all of these extra things? Yeah, I'm going to try that. I like that playing it out during the day because I've said that like, oh, if you wake up, just come into our room. But it's like, she's also, you know, like, what does that look like for her when she wakes up in the middle of the night and she's just wanting somebody to come like she needs to know how to actually walking through it with her and showing her how to do it and you know our children learn through play you would probably want her to be able to for example if she needs to go to the toilet at night you would want her to feel confident about getting out of her bed go to the bathroom and come back to her Mm -hmm. own bed so it's really just about building up her confidence that it's okay to get out of her bed so she's not feeling scared that she's just stuck there and has to cry and just wait for something that's out of her control which is you for example waking up if you have a like Mm -hmm. let's say there is a baby in there and you're preoccupied with the baby we want to empower her to be able to get what she needs without feeling like she just has to sit there and cry helplessly that's a good point too because we keep like a water bottle like right next to her little nightstand too and I don't even think waking up, I don't know if she'd even go and get that too. And it's right there. Because we had moved her into her big girl room in November and then we potty trained in January. So it's been kind of like every couple of months, like a really big milestone. So now where I feel like we're comfortable in both of those now, expanding on that is probably what's next for us. But a lot of this information that we pulled, um, you have a free guide on Instagram all about toddler sleep. I know you have an awesome course coming up. Can you kind of just tell us everything that you've got going on and where our listeners can find more about Absolutely. you? Absolutely, yeah. So I have a, a free normal toddler sleep guide. It talks about the sleep totals, like the total amount of sleep that your toddler needs. It talks about naps. It shows you when sleep might be uh, disrupted due to development versus other things. Uh, and it's just like a nice overview. You can get it in my uh, link in bio on Instagram. I'm at Talking Sleep without a G at the end. You can come to Instagram or my website, talkingsleep.com. Uh, we have lots of freebies as well as a brand new toddler sleep course coming out on April 28th. So I hope everybody can join. Awesome. Thank you so much for joining us. We do like to ask all of our guests at the very end what your go-to coffee order is. My go-to coffee order is a flat white. 
I can get on board with that. Yeah, I really, I really, <laughs> it's when I treat myself and get out and get like somebody to make me coffee. I have not invested in a coffee machine, but it is the next big investment in my life that will make me very happy. <laughs> my husband is listening for my birthday. <laughs> Wait, you don't have a coffee maker I at all in your house? I have a coffee maker, but I feel like I need to oh, take okay. it to the next level and have like a, one of those espresso proper machines that I wouldn't know how to handle but I would like to have in my house. If I can make a recommendation, I have the, um, we're talking all about sleep and coffee <laughs> recommendations. Um, the Ninja coffee bar and it, it has a frother. It does espresso, iced coffee. And I did not know how to use it. My husband, we're not ones that like read manuals. So he just kept making a bunch of different coffee. I'm not going to turn down coffee. So that's my, uh, that's my recommendation. Sounds heavenly. Valerie, thank you again so much for joining us. I know sleep is always sometimes a really sensitive subject, but it's always really talked about, especially in the parenting community where we try to take a more responsive, uh, gentle approach. I know hearing just a different way to do things and hearing what's normal and hearing from, you know, two moms that also have pretty wakeful toddlers. I just think it's important that people know that they're not alone. And I read something actually on Instagram yesterday and it said if every house had a blue light on the top that was lit up, when moms were awake in the house, like the whole city would be lit up because you're never alone. I know it feels that way in those night wake ups. Believe me, I feel that way too. But there's tons of moms just like us that are also up trying to get their babies back to sleep. Yeah. And I think it's such a good and important balance in terms of uh, really normalizing, really understanding that they are human beings. They will be waking us up. And at the same time, kind of empowering us and them to get, well, I guess that's what I'm here for is to get the best sleep for everyone so that we're all feeling good about the sleep situation in our house. So I think something that I really appreciate that you're sharing is actually, you know, yeah, she's waking me up, but I'm not feeling distressed and upset by it. Uh, it just feels like we found our balance and it's working for us. I just also want to encourage parents who are feeling that, you know, it's starting to impact your relationship in some way negatively or just the dynamic in your house or sleep is just not something that you happily talk about or have feelings about. It's really important to also take that more active step in terms of doing what you can, focusing on the things that are in your control to create an environment where you are feeling good with their sleep routines and what sleep looks like in your house. And it's going to be different for every family. And it's really important to do what works and what is valuable to you and your little one and your family. And I also just wanted to say that as someone who actively chose not to sleep train, you know, having taken his lead uh, for the most part these last 18 months, really, it's so nice and reassuring to hear that there are things that as parents we can do. I love that you use the word empower, you know, to empower our children to make these transitions that might make things easier for both us and them. You know, I think as soon as we think transition, especially those of us who have not sleep trained, um, it, it can feel a little scary, right? You, you kind of feel like, okay, well, I worked so hard to be this responsive and, you know, I've made some sacrifices to do that. It's wonderful to hear that there are ways to actively support our children that are a far cry from what uh, sleep trainers are advocating for. Yeah, similar for me. I, I was like, I'm not sleep training, but but I can't continue this. And also working with families, I just realized that it's just different for everyone. And I think it's just important to remember that you can be responsive and at the same time set sleep routines and sleep environment that works for your family. I think it can be also going too far on the other end of completely just waiting and suffering and struggling through is also not helpful for families or their toddlers because we're kind of just modeling that our needs aren't necessarily important when that's the situation. 
But the key here is, is it working for you and your family and your little one? Is it creating healthy relationships? Is it creating a healthy, happy, calm environment for the most part? Are you enjoying your routines? You know, is it distressing to you or is it just not bothering you at all? And for every family and child is different. I love that. If it works for your family, it doesn't matter what anyone else is doing. It works. So Valerie, thank you so much again for joining us. This was such a great episode. I cannot wait for our listeners to hear this one. It's jam-packed with lots of really helpful and useful information. So thank you again for joining us. Thank you so much for inviting me. I had a really good time and we'll talk soon. 